can we give uh, Sean another amen? (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, I think I better pray then. God, thank you for this uh, moment of time that here in your presence we get to be with you, get to lift our eyes to look at you. I just want to thank you, God, for the people that you have um, created this church from. Thank you for the gold that's in uh, this body, whether we're here together in the overflow room, sitting somewhere else, listening at another time. I thank you, God, that you've made us one in spirit. And I, I thank you, God, for belonging. I ask that you uh, bless us in your presence as we look to your word, that you would lead us and guide us. We ask for the revelation, the illumination of your Holy Spirit as we look to the scriptures. And we ask God for hearts that are open that would take the seed of the gospel freely, willingly, deeply, and that you, God, and you alone would form in us deep roots of love for you and the world. In Jesus' name, amen. This doesn't feel appropriate when I'm not rhyming. No more rhyming, I mean it. Anybody want a peanut? Just had to get one uh, Princess Pride quote in there. All right. <laughs> it's very good to see you all. Um, it's good to be back. Um, just in case you did wonder, I was in quarantine. I was not sick. I didn't have uh, COVID. Um, only one person on our staff did. They recovered uh, quickly without any significant symptoms. So we're free and clear and very, very thankful for that. It's good for an introvert to be um, quarantined because it makes us realize we actually need other humans. So, I'm really glad to be with all of you humans. Uh, We're going to continue our series this morning uh, from 1 John. It's called Love Lived Out. In today's passage, surprise, surprise, old Johnny OneNote. That's how I'm thinking about John these days. Old Johnny OneNote is going to basically preach the same thing. He's going to say love and obedience, obedience and love, love and obedience, obedience and love. He's going to say it over and over and over again until his people of the day hear it and live it out, and I think preserved by us in the, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we get it and we can live out our love. First, I just want to remind you of the historical context of 1 John so that because the, the context often helps us form our understanding. If we just uh, fly into a, a passage and don't know what's happening there, we can get a little confused about how to apply the word that God wants us to apply in and through our lives. So the context is John, uh, the apostle, the beloved of Jesus, is old, older now, and he's writing this letter to a number of churches that he had pastoral oversight over. And some of the people in those churches had left the church, had really left the truth, had left Jesus, and they were trying to draw others away. There was some, uh, some ruckus, a little bit of a fray in the churches he was overseeing. So John is writing to those churches these uh, letters in order to help the believers who remained understand that they were true believers, that they didn't have to fear for, you know, had had they gone wrong, but also to affirm what truth they needed to believe 
and what action, real action out of genuine faith would look like. So an awful lot of 1 John, though it might have kind of testing and judgment language, you can hear some of that, so much of 1 John is really about assurance. It's meant to, to bring us assurance we belong to Jesus and to look at our own lives and to see that, but also to remember what it is that we affirm, that we don't just say what we believe with our words, but we live it out in our lives. Um, these other, um, the ones that had left the church were beginning to say that Jesus was not the big deal that everyone made him to be, that you could have a relationship with God apart from Jesus, that uh, forgiveness in the blood of Christ was not essential. And so John is just coming back to the, the essential truth of the gospel. Love lived out is obedience to God and love for God and for the world. So John's bringing that uh, assurance. So uh, what I want to do for about the next 25 minutes or so, I want to read the scripture from this morning, 1 John 2, 28 to 310. So open your device or your Bible. It, it won't be on the screen, so you can either read it or just listen. 1 John 2, 28 to 310. And I'm just going to wait at the end of that reading for about 30 seconds to let us sit under the word. So hear the word and then sit under it and let the Holy Spirit give you the first words into your heart from this scripture. And then uh, after that time of silence, I want to um, take this relatively long uh, text and I'm going to divide it into some categories so that we can distill the understanding because it's, it's a little bit circular in the way John writes. And I think uh, maybe it's just me. I'm a little bit more linear. So I'll put it in some categories and then I want to end with three real practical, I didn't say easy, but I said practical um, uh, activations, sort of practices that we can walk out. So let's read the text. Um, let's do this just for something fun. If you're in the room, let's stand as we read the word of God this morning. This is God's word to us, 1 John 2, 28 to 310. And now, dear children... Continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil 
has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works, the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Amen. Be seated. All right, there's, uh, there's a lot there. Um, let's just take a minute and let the Holy Spirit speak to us from that word. Lord, let us be good soil here this morning to hear the word, to take it in, and to see real spiritual fruit born from it in and through our lives. Amen. Okay, so what I want to do at the beginning here, it's a little more teachy this morning, uh, but uh, I think it'll make sense as we go through. I want to sort of split up what John is communicating to his people and the Holy Spirit communicating to us in categories that I think will help us kind of lock into what he's trying to communicate as foundational truth. And once we understand those truths, relatively easy to understand, we can think about and pray about and work out the living of those truths in our lives. So a couple of big categories to get the the big picture. Very generally, John says at least these two things. The one who does what is right, we're just talking about pure action, what the eye sees from a human. One who does what is right is born of God and is righteous as Jesus is righteous in general. John's saying, you want to know who the believer is, the one born of God. If they do right, they're they're of God and they're righteous. There's kind of your basic. On the other hand, one who continues to sin, Paul or John's definition of sin, one who does, uh, does not do what is right or who does not love. One who continues to sin is not of God, but is of the devil. Jesus said, if they're not for us, they're against us. So those are John's two big categories. In general, you got the ones who do what is right, belong to God and are righteous. Ones who do not do what is right, who sin, they disobey, and they don't live in love, who are of the devil. So they're your big categories. Now, let's move on to the devil ever so briefly. We don't want to give him a lot of press. But John speaks about the devil. He says the devil has been sinning and causing people to sin for a long time. This should probably come as no surprise to us. That the devil, the enemy of our souls, has been at it for a very long time. Tempting people, inspiring people, uh, causing them, bringing them, inviting them into sin... um, Basically, what the enemy is doing is building up a kingdom of sin and self. So where you see 
the evidence of the enemy of our souls, you see a kingdom of self and a kingdom of sin. This is also not surprising, and the devil is not going to stop working. The devil, there's, there's no indication from the scripture that at some point before the return of Jesus, the enemy stops working. You can decide whether you think he's going to do more, he's going to do less, whatever. He's going to keep at it. Here's the big key for us. Do, we should be wise about what the devil does. We should be discerning about what the devil does. We should be cautious and aware about what the devil does. We need never fear the devil. I just want to say it again. Wisdom, yes. Discernment, yes. Awareness, yes. Be cautious, but never do we need to fear the devil. He is not our... Um, uh, the devil and Jesus are not two equals battling, right? Sometimes we can get this kind of polarized view. It's like the devil and Jesus, who's going to win today? No, the devil has already lost. He's just going down with kind of a tough fight because we're living between the times. Jesus came and he brought the kingdom He's coming again to bring the kingdom in its fullness. We live between the times. The devil's scrappy and he's coming after us. But he has been defeated. And I just want to assert it because as we feel like the, the challenge, the fear, the scary stuff around the world, uh, we can sometimes be tempted to elevate the work of the enemy. And just let's not be any part of that. I'm not saying dismiss him. We've got to be aware. But we need not fear the enemy or his people. Amen and amen. Fear only serves to get in the way of love. Anytime you feel that, you sense that fear rising up, you're trying to make a decision and you, get, you got fear, you know, yelling in your ear, fear is never a good decision maker. Love is the decision maker. Love triumphs over fear. Perfect fear, perfect love. <laughs> Perfect love drives out all fear. And that's why, as a church, honestly, we make such a big deal. Lynn and I were talking about this earlier this morning, about the love of God. We make such a big deal about the love of God because it is, you know, love is God incarnate. It is the way God's expressed in our lives and takes care of that fear that's so prevalent and only on the rise in our world, in the world around us. Okay. So there's general and there's the devil. He's sorted out. Okay, let's go on to the good guys. John talks about Jesus. He says, Jesus is righteous, that is, no sin. No sin. Never sinned. No tempted in every way like us, but as the God-man without sin. And Jesus came to destroy sin and to make people righteous. So two elements I think it's important that as believers, we understand and maybe take some time to meditate on. Jesus came to destroy sin. Our sin was nailed to the cross, and sin's power over us was taken away. But he doesn't just get rid of the bad, he also brings the good. So Jesus came to take away our sin, but also to establish us as righteous people. It's so important how we think about ourselves. Not that we lift ourselves up and say, look how great I am because of what I've done. But we, we have to be aware of how great Jesus is and the complete work that Jesus has done is in us. 
so that we can look in the mirror and say, good morning, righteousness of God in Christ. It's nice to see you. I'll be very happy to see you walk out your life today because that is the truest truth. The, the truest thing about you is what God says about you. And that's what God says about you if you're in Christ. You are the righteousness of God in him. Uh, I had a, a counselor one time. He loved to say over and over and over again so much that I remembered it. The only difference between Jesus' righteousness and my righteousness is that mine had a beginning. Jesus was always righteous and will always be righteous. And the, 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 um, the decision the will in the heart of God through Christ was to extend his love and his compassion upon the world and to make, C.S. Lewis says it this way, little gods, small g, little gods, little Christs, little holy ones out of his people. That's what God's declaration from eternity past has been. So what that means when we, we think about all of that that's true about Jesus is that we can trust that ultimately and eternally, Jesus will be victorious over every sin. And I, I just want you to think about that for a minute personally. And here's, here's the way it came to me. Like God was speaking to me. Yes, Randy, even that sin. Do you know that one? I don't know what that one is for you. But we can be certain that Jesus will be victorious uh, over every sin in our lives and in the world. Yes, even that sin. I think so many believers have that, that thing, you know? You just think, man, if I could just deal with that. Is, am I the only one? Just give me a little help. Is anyone a lot? Oh, good, okay. You just think, if I could just deal with that one thing, you know, that thought process, that temptation, that, um, that attitude, that... Well, I just want to tell you, Jesus is victorious over that sin. And we've got to begin to proclaim that now so that we can truly live that out. That is not just a when we get to heaven thing. Victory is meant for today. So that's Jesus. Awesome. Following Jesus is who? It's us. John says we are children of God because of God's great love and that there's more to come for us because we'll see Jesus and when we see him, we'll be like him. Honestly, I don't completely understand what John is saying. I think there's a in this world part, the more we see Jesus, the more we become like him. The more we gaze on him, the more we become like him. The more revelation we get of who he is, the more we're able to imitate but I think there's an eternal aspect of this too, that, you know, truly, when, whether the Lord comes and we're alive or whether we die and then are raised, when Jesus comes, we'll look at him and all of a sudden, everything that made us unlike him fades and we become like him. I mean, that gets me excited because I've had enough of being like me. <laughs> I love me, okay, I'm working on that. That's one of my things, you know. Jesus loves me, so, so do I. But man, I'd like to have a lot of more him in me. I'd like to see a lot more him in me. I'd like to experience a lot more of him through me. So John says, here's the good news. We're children of God because of God's great love, his lavished love. 
God has inserted his life into us. This sounds uh, theoretical. This is practical and real. God has inserted a foreign life into us, the life of heaven. Jesus lives inside the believer. Jesus lives inside you. The Holy Spirit of God is present within you. You may not feel that. You may not be sure you believe that. You may doubt that at times. That is actual, literal, heavenly, God-ordained truth. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then he is present within you. And when God looks at you, he sees him. So we've talked generally, we've talked about uh, the devil, we've talked about Jesus, we've talked about us. Now I think John sort of broadens and he goes back to the world. So what does he have to say about the world? John says, in the world we are unknown. In other words, the, the world doesn't understand the believer because they didn't understand Jesus. So um, maybe this will not come as a shock to you. If you're following Jesus, many people in the world will think you are weird. Has anyone experienced that? The world doesn't know you, can't know you, can't understand you because they didn't understand Jesus. You know, do we sometimes think, well, Jesus was kind of weird and he did strange things and, you know, he didn't. He wasn't clear enough in the way he spoke, but I can somehow make people understand. No. If the world didn't understand him, they're not going to understand us. The big shocker is not that the world thinks we're strange. The big shocker is the ways in which and the extent to which we look just like the world. Now, I just say that to me because I'm just studying this, this week. I thought that's what hit me. You know, I'm thinking, yeah, the world doesn't know me, but you know, I mean, I think I relate pretty well with the world. And God said, and you're happy with that? Well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, can I plead the fifth on that one? I want to communicate the gospel, right, in my life. I want to do it in a relevant way. I want to use words that unbelievers understand because I'm the fragrance of life to those who are being saved. But I cannot forget that I'm also the fragrance of death to those who are perishing. So let's not be so shocked and so surprised when the world says, you are odd. And maybe, like any of us, really need an excuse to be stranger than we are. <laughs> maybe, though, be okay with, yeah, we're not going to fit in the world. We're not going to fit in the world. And let's stand up and be who we are as believers and show the world that there is a culture of heaven that overcomes the world. So a couple of years ago, I don't know if Jane, my beautiful wife, hi, how's it going? That's my wife back there. Um, a couple, <laughs> a couple, of, uh, couple of years ago, we were on a trip and, and the Lord just said to Jane, in a, I mean, just you know, said to her, the world's gonna change, but you know, take comfort, I've overcome the world. And then 2020 came. And just in the last couple of weeks, Jane's been saying, like, you know, Jane's not a big boastful person, but she's like, I knew. <laughs> God told me. The world's going to change, and it's going to keep changing, and it's going to get harder in some ways. 
But Jesus has overcome the world. He's in us. He's overcoming the world through us. So let's not be shocked when we're strange to the world's eyes. And let's not accommodate ourselves to the world's ways in those places where Jesus has said, just be weird like me. I'll just let you fill in your own blanks, okay? We don't, the cross is a big enough barrier to the gospel. We don't need to create any more barriers, all right? So it's not just weird for weird's sake. It's weird for heaven's sake because we are citizens of another place. We're aliens on the planet and we really are meant to look and speak and act and walk in a different way. So there's the word to me. It probably is good for you too. The world just can't know us. It's like, um, I remember when, you know, raising our kids as, uh, as our kids were getting older and we would have friends over for dinner. A lot of times uh, our kids friends didn't understand our family dynamic. I can't remember which one it was, but I remember a friend of one of our kids was just shocked when we sat down at the table for dinner. And afterwards, I found out, my son said, he just didn't know what to do because he's never had a meal, a dinner, an evening meal with his family. They just, you know, whoever, you got whatever you could, and you sat in front of the TV and, and ate, and he just didn't know what to do. And, you know, we're holding hands, praying. He's like, this is weird, right? We are like those children, in the world. And there are, there are a lot of people out there that just aren't going to understand our values. They're not going to understand our relationships or the way we talk. Let's be the ones that they become like rather than the other way around. That's all I'm saying is let's live out who we are and who we are becoming. Okay, and then so we've, we've done general, the one who sins and the one who doesn't. We've done the devil. We've done Jesus. We've done us. We've done the world. And then John kind of comes back in general, and the way I thought of it was if, if John was speaking in 21st century English, he'd say, you really want to know what's what and who's who? Look at lives and look at love. That's what John says all the way through this book. You really want to know what's what and who's who? Look at lives and look at love. What people believe is important. Theology is important. What people say is important. Our speech is important. Most important is the way we live out what we believe and what we speak. Most, you know, it's those who had parents like mine who said actions speak louder than words, they were right. (laughs) They were right. What we live out has so much more power in the world and for the kingdom than what we say we believe or what we say at all. And um, a little bit more emphasis on lifestyle and a little bit less emphasis on being perfectly right in our own eyes maybe would do the world some good. So if you're not seeing obedience and love from another person, another believer, I'm not saying you don't love them or you don't serve them. Serve them as you would serve Jesus, but you don't have to follow them. You don't have to walk down the trail theologically or practically behind them. You have the Holy Spirit and can be discerning. I tell you, Sean saying those things from the scripture about me scared the bejeevers out of me. Like, I appreciate that. That makes me feel good. I just wanted to slide onto the stage (laughs) and say, oh, what a rogue and peasant slave am I. And yet that's God's words about us. And we want to 
begin to live into that and live up to that as we would want to please our Heavenly Father. Okay. Now, how does this become practical for us? And I want to take our last 10 or 12 minutes and, and just make this as practical as possible. Three active practices, and I'm going to speak them out, and you're going to say, that doesn't sound practical, and I don't know how to do that. And I'm going to do my very best to, uh, to lead us down a practical path. Three active practices, and each one of these comes straight from the text this morning. In two cases, the actual words used, and I think... Um, Well, I think John would agree with me. All right. Number one, continue to live in Jesus. That's what John says right out out of the chute in this portion of his letter. Continue to live in Jesus. How is it that we can walk confidently in the world and know that we'll be unashamed when Jesus returns? I mean, John is not afraid to to use a little holy Fear, a little holy reverence, indicating Jesus is coming back at some point. Soon, whatever soon means, Jesus is coming back. So John says, you want to you be confident as you're walking and unashamed when he returns? Continue to live in him. That word continue, the Greek word, exact same word that came out of the mouth of Jesus in John 15, when Jesus said, if you continue or abide in me, and, I can, and my words continue or my words abide in you, you know what the promise is? Then ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. That's worth some time considering with a promise like that. Jesus says, exact same word as continue, if you abide or remain in me, and my words abide or continue or remain in you, then ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Other translations say abide, say remain, live continually. The New Living Translation says remain in fellowship with Christ. The message paraphrase says live deeply in Christ. It's... um, I've admitted before I'm lousy with directions. I have no sense of direction, nil. The only way I I ever know which way to go is whichever way I think is right, I go the opposite way, and it usually gets me where I need to be. So if you're me and you're following someone to a destination that you really want to arrive at, how do you follow them? Do you follow them independently or dependently? You follow them very dependently. You drive like they drive, right? Jane, my lovely wife, sometimes gets on me. If we're following someone, she's like, you don't have to follow so close, you know? If my son's going 80, I do not have to go 80 behind him. But how do we follow someone if we want to end up where they are? We follow them really closely. We drive the way they drive. We switch lanes when they switch lanes. We stay right on their tail. Why? Because we want to be where they're leading us. And that's the best picture I could come up with for what it means to continue in Jesus, is to think about following Jesus so closely each day that we are walking at his speed, that we are constantly looking at him in, through our front or in our rearview mirror to the side, constantly living with the reality of our guide who's taking us to heaven, who's leading us down a path 
that's perfect and pure and that is an overcoming path. We want to end up where Jesus ends up, right? We've been called to heaven. So we want to follow so closely to follow, to, to follow Jesus. And very practically, I don't know of any other way to make this practical other than to say, when Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, I think we can just put in there, if you pray every day, if you talk to me every day, and if you read my word every day, I think that is the best definition of abiding in a practical sense that I can come up with. There is no healing, no revelation, no act of God that has had such a transformative power in my life personally as the daily practice of meeting with God. Every day, if it's two minutes, if it's five minutes, if it's three hours, to go to God in prayer, to let him see my heart, Speak out the words, the pretty ones and the not-so-pretty ones before the God who knows everything and to allow his word to abide in me. To open up the scriptures, can I be really honest, when the scriptures are like blah, 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 blah. I'm sorry, sometimes your pastor reads the scriptures and it looks like blah, 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 blah. I'm just saying. But the discipline, the practice, the, you know, to keep my eyes focused on Jesus, I've got to be in his presence. Very practically, I have to be saying words to Jesus. Jesus, this is how I feel today. This is what's going on in me today. This is where I'm tempted. This is where I'm afraid. This is what I can't wait for. This is what I'm worried about. I mean, that's abiding in Christ, getting it all out there and allowing his words to abide in me, because there are plenty of words out there in the world that would like to abide in you. I mean, we've got words. Man, do we have words these days. But the word of God has a transforming power. And the one thing we can do to put us in the place that we can hear God's word is to open up the scriptures, get a physical Bible, get a, a, a digital Bible, memorize the Bible, Whatever you have to do, listen to the Bible. I'm really, I'm not normally one that pleads, but I'm pleading with you. <laughs> I'm pleading with you. This is a way we put ourselves into the place where God can do what only God can do, make us like Jesus. We abide in him through prayer. His word abides us in us through the scripture, whatever it takes. And if you cannot make that work in your life, Email me, call me, text me, knock on my door. I want to help to, to give you a practical way to do that. Okay. That's, uh, that was number one. Continue to live in Jesus. Number two, set your hope on who you are becoming in Christ. Again, sounds ethereal, but I'm talking practically what you do with your mind. What I do with my mind every day has such an impact on how I live out my life and who I actually become. So set your hope on who you are and are becoming in Christ. Very practical question. What do you believe about who you are? And what do you affirm on a daily basis about the reality of your Christ-likeness? 
I'm not running down a name it and claim it road here. I'm not just saying positive confession, you know, just say the words and somehow magically it happens. I'm talking about aligning our minds with heavenly truth on a consistent day-by-day basis. If that mean, means you need to Google who I am in Christ and print that out from the scriptures and affirm before God what he said about you, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are a new creation. Your faith has overcome the world over and over again because the enemy's got plenty of words he wants to give us. And the last thing the enemy wants is for us to set our gaze mentally, emotionally, spiritually upon our hope in Jesus. He will distract us in any and every way that he can. He will put out in front of us false hope. And I don't know how he does that for you. I know how he does it for me. False hope as if this will work. This will change you. This is your healing source. No, it's Jesus. Every time it's Jesus. And John says that um, when we set our hope on him who is pure, the result of setting our hope on him who is pure is that we will purify ourselves. He's not saying that we clean ourselves up. Jesus makes us clean and Jesus alone. He is saying that we'll walk in the world in a clean way. It's, it's like, um, imagine you're going to a party or you're dressing for a wedding or for a photo a picture, a photo op or something, and you're all dressed up, Right? When you're all dressed up and you're going to present yourself in front of somebody for some reason, you're very careful about how you walk, right? Because you don't want to get in front of the wedding picture and have a big blob of ketchup right here, right? Or some other evil substance, right? It's, it's the same way as we walk in Jesus. When, because we know where we're headed, we're going to the wedding feast of the Lamb. We're the bride of Christ. I mean, we're... we're we're center stage with Jesus. And what we're clothed in, the way we walk, matters to God and the world. It matters. If we were to walk in the world like we were walking into a wedding, not, I'm not talking about self-righteousness. I'm not talking about, um, you know, it's all about me. I'm just talking about propriety. Is that, is that a word that nobody ever uses anymore? Propriety. What is appropriate for me to do and say and look like in the world as a child of God? It, it'll make heads turn. You know, have you ever been somewhere and you see a wedding party and you're like, whoa, you know, like they're snapping pictures and it just kind of gives you joy. Your heads turn, right? When we walk like Jesus, because he's pure, we set our hope on him as our purity, we will walk like him and heads will turn. Not to say, oh my gosh, Ron, he's like all that in a bag of chips. Maybe he is. Terry, I'm sure he is, right? All that in a bag of chips. But they'll say, yeah. (laughs) But the world looks at Ron and says, there's a glow. I mean, actually, in Ron, it's true. There's Jesus there. There's Jesus there. And heads turn like, what's up? That's different. I need that. The world needs that. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Love the way Mike Bickle says it. We become what we behold. And so we behold him and we become like him. 
Number three, submit to Jesus' life within you. Submit to Jesus' life within you. Once again, I wrote that and I thought, that, that doesn't sound practical. That sounds like, okay, what does submitting to Jesus' life in me look like? The, the text says this, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. Take a wild guess what the Greek word for seed is. Anyone have the guts to shout it out? Sperma. Is anyone shocked? That's the Greek word. Now, what word do we get from that? Oh, the seed. No one who is born of God can continue to sin. Why? Because the seed of God is in them. Their nature has been changed. They come from a different fatherly source. Their paternity is not earthly. If the seed of God is in us, what does, uh, what does surrendering to the life of God within us look like? I'm, I'm sorry, it's the only analogy I could come up with, but it's, it's a pregnant woman. Hi, pregnant woman. I personally have never been a pregnant woman, but I've met a few, all right? How does a pregnant woman allow a supernatural life to be formed in her? What does she do? Let's, I mean, I know I'm going way long, but let's have a little interaction. How does a woman allow a child to be formed in her? I'm not talking about the first part. Okay, I get that. I'm talking about once impregnated. Let's keep it clean here. Speak it out. What does she do? She takes care of herself. As you care for you, think about this, as you care for you, you care for the one being formed in you. How would Jesus treat you? You begin to treat yourself the way Jesus would treat you, and the life of God is formed in you. Sometimes they wear different clothes. They clothe themselves with something different. Why? Because they are making space for a growing body within them. We will have to clothe ourselves, and I mean this metaphorically. I'm not saying we all get the priest outfits, right? That would be fun, but... <laughs> we clothe ourselves differently because the, the, the life of God is being formed in us. We will carry ourselves in a different way. We may waddle a bit. Why? Because we're uncomfortable and this is new. When you first come to Jesus, uh, obedience isn't natural. It's like... Oh, I'm used to sinning, and wait a minute, now Jesus is here. I, oh, you know, and you get a little confused, right? Maybe we need some more waddling Christians, more Christians that are so aware of this life of God being formed in them that they slowly, seriously consider, should I be taking on this action? Should I be running up this hill with this life being formed in me? What should I put in my body? What should I ingest physically, spiritually, in order to care for this life that's being formed in me. I mean, I realize I'm running this example down to the ground, but I just think if we don't have some practical way to think about Jesus, the seed of God being formed in us, how will we live it out? If only we were so cautious as a, as a pregnant woman is of clothing, of different desires, different needs, of, co- of Uh, caring for ourselves, this is so much about cooperation with the one who has 
put his seed within us. And boy, if we could wake up every morning and say, God, I want more of the life of Jesus in me. How do I cooperate with that today? Where do I turn in the scripture? How do I pray? Who should I talk to? Where should I get my encouragement today? What should I uh, put my time into today? Where should I put my energy? Do I just need to rest? Do I just need to let you, uh, you know, passively do your work in me in a time of rest? Let's uh, stand. And if I could have the ministry team come up, and Lynn, if you could come forward. And if you prepare your, you have your communion either at home or right here. We've uh, talked in the last 30, 40 minutes now about the world and about people in general. We've talked about God's perspective on the devil, on Jesus, the Son, on ourselves. And I've given three uh, active practices for living out love. Now, as we reflect on the body and the blood of Jesus given for us, let's just take uh, 20, 30 seconds and be quiet as Lynn begins to play and you can get your um, communion ready. Just take some time to be quiet and ask the Lord, God, what are you saying to me today? Lord, we ask now in these moments that you would speak to us. What are you saying to us this morning? This is the love of God shown to you. This is the body of Christ given for you. Take it now. And this is the love of God poured out lavishly on your account. This is the blood of Jesus that purifies you from all sin. Take it in his name. Holy Spirit, thank you for the body and the blood of Christ. Thank you for the miracle of life, the mystery of faith, that that taking these common elements, you do an uncommon thing. You infuse us with life from heaven. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd speak to us individually. Will you open our ears to hear? Would you release faith this morning to believe? God, would you pour out upon us, your people, here this morning and in the overflow room and wherever we're listening, courage and strength to act. God, by your Holy Spirit, for the sake of Jesus and the world that he lived and died for, would you grant us faith to live out our love? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's some way that you think God would have you uh, respond this morning from one of the truths, from the scripture, from your own time listening, from one of those three practical things, I just ask you to come forward and 
Anyone on the ministry team would love to pray for you. They'll, they'll stay uh, appropriate and safe distance. We'll have our masks on. But I'd encourage you to come forward and take a step of faith. If you have any specific need in your life, it's physical healing, emotional, spiritual issues, we would love to pray for you. Um, you're certainly welcome to turn to one another and to pray for one another. Just be conscious of your mask and the distance to honor everyone. And I pray that God will release us into the world today with an infusion of his love and his power like we've never known that the world would know that Jesus has been sent on their behalf. Amen.